0: Hi everyone, Uh, surprise surprise, it's me, Paulie, from Rat Depot, and I'm here with a belated narration of Beat the Boss, which was a guest piece by guest writer Jimmy Woodman. Um, This article was written uh, by Jimmy, and it uh, it contains spoilers for Kentucky Route Zero and Night in the Woods, um, and I guess also for Lord of the Rings, if you somehow haven't seen or read Lord of the Rings. Anyway, here we go. There are fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world grumbles Gandalf in the minds of Moria, deep midway through the Fellowship of the Ring. In the context of almost every game made since 1980, Gandalf is absolutely correct. The logic of video game escalation dictates deeper equals worse, scarier, bigger bads than ever. The boss lies at the base, the deepest point. It's true for dungeons and caverns, for your caves, chutes, shafts, crevices, chasms and pits. Mountains even, if you turn it upside down. Mines, though, like Moria, ought to sit slightly to the side of all of these. The boss may be at the bottom, but mines, after all, are man-made structures, structures for work. People go there to earn a living, to plumb the depths and darkness for treasure. They are not naturally formed caverns, nor labyrinths designed to ensnare or trap explorers, nor ruins of a forgotten civilization which has been buried beneath the waves of time. Mines are functional. Video games in general care more about whether mines are fun to be in for players. The exception to this rule, however, engage with far deeper histories of labour and people writing about that labour. Let's take that rickety elevator down together and poke around in the darkness for those glimmering little cultural seams. From the very start, the affinity between mines, Lord of the Rings and video games has been strong. The early text-based roguelikes... The Dungeons of Moria from 1983 and its expanded successor Angband in 1990, are basically the epic of Gilgamesh of the Dungeon Crawl. Developed by a computer nerd who found life so intolerable without his favourite text-based game Rogue that he needed to make his own, the player descends deeper into the mine of Moria to fight the Balrog, Durin's Bane, for my fellow Tolkien heads. At first you battle goblins, then cave trolls and finally Mr D. Bane himself. Escalation in this case is primarily structural, and Moria's legendary difficulty sharpens the essence of deeper meaning. Deeper, meaning. Tougher, scarier, bigger. Despite the challenge, the shift in medium from book or film to video game has a curious effect that's continued ever since Moria. Where the original heroes of the Fellowship flee in the Lord of the Rings canon, Moria's self-insert player character is supposed to defeat the Balrog. It may take many hours of trial and error, intelligent strategy, and some considerable luck to do so, but triumph is the only eventual win state and canonical ending of the game. Much like how my canonical ending is that I'll one day descend to the depths of the tunnels I'm sure are beneath my workplace to defeat my boss in single combat. Outside of the sweaty rooms of early Moria players, the mine keeps much of the same atmosphere and structure in its modern fantasy successors. Skyrim 2011 is littered with mines for the player to explore, mostly overrun by bandits or nasty spiders, but at the deepest point treasure and a boss. So far, so classic. Terraria from 2011 and, duh, Minecraft from 2009 typify the exploration accumulation angle. What is most important and most common in these experiences is your bottomless appetite for loot and resources. The player journey is to become the baddest and toughest hoover around, the greatest sucker-up of stuff. As in Moria, these mines are environments made for the player to tame and conquer, a subterranean land of plenty. And, huddled in its lair like some evil beast, livero crouched ever lower and its breath came in longer and deeper gasps, as though it was struggling to digest its meal of human flesh. This quote, taken from the uh, novel Germinal from 1885 by Emile Zola, is about a mine. More specifically, it is the first impression that a coal pit, Leveroux, in rural Normandy makes on the protagonist and down on his luck mechanic Etienne Lantier. Is Leveroux a place where a hero can descend into the dungeon, vanquish the monster with it within its pitch black heart and then return to the adulation of the townsfolk who have been living in the shadow of its evil? No. This monster is inseparable from the town. It keeps everyone in the story, bosses and workers, old men and children, alive. That life is one of hard labour and hunger. The beast of Livero is as unvanquishable as the economic systems which created it in the first place, as sprawling and incomprehensible in its totality as the global movement of capital and resources. The pit is exploitative, it is inhumane and it is an immovable fact of these people's lives. Without it, what is there? This is what the above games miss about mines. A mine is the work that occurs within it. It is the effect it has on the people who depend on extraction from it. An abandoned mine is just a hole. Most mines in the UK and the US are now holes. Both Kentucky Route Zero from 2019 and Night in the Woods from 2017 are about these holes. Set in a magical uh, sorry a magic realist Kentucky and a version of Pennsylvania-ish, if it were populated by cutesy animals respectively, Individuals and communities have to grapple with this kind of abandonment and post-industrial decay. The only question is, now what? What is left when that beast is gone? Much of Kentucky Route Zero Zero is set underground. It follows an old delivery driver and recovering alcoholic Conway as he he has to deliver his last shipment of antique furniture for a dying company to a mysterious location along this secretive and surreal Route Zero. The game is all about late capitalist decay, It grapples with debt, shame, getting old, being made redundant, the worlds that get left behind by capitalism, and those patterns of exploitation which remain. One section has you explore an abandoned shaft, Elkhorn mine, as Conway and one of his cast-off companions, Shannon Marquez. Shannon's parents were academics who used to collect folk and country music from the workers. Not anymore. The place is closed. Flooding killed dozens of miners some decades ago and a company shut up shop rather than face the consequences. Using a track to travel across the mine, you can shut off your light and watch the ghostly figures of the dead miners trudge along to work, still haunting the tunnels. Later in the game, travelling across the flooded portion of the mine in a boat with Shannon and Conway, you can see a pile of mining helmets, the same helmets worn by those who died at Elkhorn Mine. They've been made into a shrine to the dead a memorial which condemns the company whose negligence killed them. A sign explains the defiant symbolism. The helmets are technically still company property. It threatens violent resistance to anyone from the company who would dare reclaim that property. The workers stopped, but the people, who, uh, the people those who died, and those who were forced to move on, still remember. The mine is abandoned only in the sense that it is no longer profitable. It still operates in the minds, hearts, and ghostly bodies of the people who truly depended on it and lived alongside it, for better or worse. There is also something else living at the deepest point of the mine in Night in the Woods. But it is something from another world, something completely alien and indifferent to the people of Possum Springs. It hungers ceaselessly. Long ago, a strange cult of town bigwigs began to uh, kidnap children to feed it. In return, the entity gave Possum Springs prosperity. First the mine comes, but what if that closes? Hey presto, a glass factory opens. But recently, no sacrifice can mollify it. The only real jobs are at corporate supermarkets outside of town, and Possum Springs is barely hanging on. At the climax of the game, our protagonist, May Borowski, finds out that a missing friend had been fed to this beast. He was a nobody, and the town needed the jobs to come back. But then... The cult that kidnapped and murdered him has the goal, the brass bloody neck, to ask that May and her friends take over from them when they die, to keep this beast fed and keep the cycle going. Earlier in the game, May can find a memento from her recently dead grandfather. It's a tooth. Specifically, it is the tooth of a mining boss. Her grandfather was a union man and miner. One day, the boss tried to cut wages and started firing agitators. May's granddad and the other miners beat the shit out of him and took his teeth. Each man kept a tooth as a reminder of that solidarity, of what collective struggle can achieve. Guided by that family heritage, her empathy for the town and love for her friends, May leaves the beast and the cult to starve below the earth, abandoned in their hole. Another quote from Germinal. His voice had taken on a kind of religious awe, as though he was speaking of some inaccessible tabernacle, where dwelt unseen the gorged and crouched deity whom they all appeased with their flesh, but whom nobody had ever seen. Victory in Kentucky Route Zero and Night in the Woods is often the absence of defeat. Even so, we lose Conway to a literally necromantic corporation towards the end of Kentucky Route Zero, and Possum Springs remains stuck in a living death of post-industrial collapse. In each game, when the characters glimpse that gorged and crouched deity, they do struggle against its machinations. The memory of past solidarity meets the resolve to fulfil the promise of collectivism in the present day. These treatments of mines show something beyond the impulse to accumulate implied by Skyrim or Minecraft. They understand that extracting riches from beneath the earth really means to the people who have to do the extracting. They also understand that together, even dark, damp, scary holes in the bottom of the earth can be places of cherished memory, of community, of unwavering resolves. Together, it can be as simple as fighting your way deep as you can to fuck up the boss. And it's best to bring your pals along too that's it thank you jimmy good friend nice man great writer big nerd jimmy everybody if you've loved this article on minds and video games keep your tits to the ground for more jimmy core content on rat debu soon as of recording this jimmy has released um the first part of a new ongoing short story called the devil's tale and you should check that out as well if you haven't already that's all for today Um, I'm posthumously apologising for the lack of podcasts Um, scheduling with guests can be difficult when all of your potential co-hosts are very busy and sexy Uh, but we are back ASAP I think I've released one since this letter was out Uh, there's another one coming soon Um, if you'd like to join Rat Depot in any form as a writer, podcaster or as a member of our community let me know in the comments, via email or on Instagram and if you'd like to pay Jimmy 1 million smackaroons to write for you you can reach him at the email I've included So, that's it for now. Until next time, be good. Love, Paulie.